finish him. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood of Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? It's been a while. It's been a really long while. We took a four-month break, hiatus, whatever you may call it, and pretty much without any um, notice that we were doing so. Um, part of that was due to the pandemic uh, getting worse in our area and we just couldn't get together to watch films part of it was martin not getting his job done uh he had one job to watch wonder woman 1984 and he did not i was prepared to do the the show martin was not and so we had to postpone and then we just never really set up another uh podcasting time because i was mad because i was like i fucking watched wonder woman 1984 for this and well I, i got halfway through it before you know what the internet like Shut that down, and I was like, you know what? That's a sign from God. Don't force yourself to watch this crap. Just you just had to let it go. You're <laughs> too too long, too much time spent on DC movies, where you said you checked out. You're like, I know. And you know what? And you you know what you did too. You know what you did. Now that we've had that bridge uh, between the DC movies that we covered before and not covering like Harley Quinn and uh, Wonder Woman. Now we might as well just not do DC movies. You got out of it, you, you son of a bitch. You got out of watching the Snyder Cut so that we don't have yeah. to do it again. You, you I, was la- it. I, I was laughing because when the Snyder Cut came out, I had a whole bunch of people at work being like, man, you know, it's really good. It's really good. And I'm like, no. Well, I watched it. You, you, you and, don't know what good filming is. Zack Snyder's so, maybe done one good film in his life. and uh, And we covered it. We've already done it. Um, well, I will say, I watched the Snyder Cut. I forced myself through it. I said, you know what? I might as well watch it on work time. <laughs> For one thing. I was like, well, you know what? I've got a couple hours to kill at work. So might as well get paid to watch it. Uh, while I was working at home, I was uh, I watched it, or at least part of it. Because the movie's fucking four hours long. So, you know. Maybe, maybe that's one, uh, one way I'll finally watch it. Is because I do know they did cut it into chapters. Yeah, so you can watch it as chapters. You can watch it in like one hour, basically episodes. Yeah, so it, to... so I can respect that because it's like you know, like uh, you're gonna watch Lawrence of Arabia. It's a great film, but it's like four and a half hours long. Thank God, there's like you know an intermission halfway through the film. Yeah, I definitely so. wouldn't encourage anybody to watch to try to watch the Snyder Cut like just straight through. But I will say that it was. I I don't it was better than the original Justice League that was the amalgamation of Snyder's vision and Joss Whedon's. It was it's because that film just had so many problems and we pointed that out a lot of times. Now, will a Snyder cut save the main issues behind 
the entirety of the DC, um, you know, extended universe? No. And the reason that Justice League didn't work besides all of the really shitty behind the scenes things is that they tried to force a Justice League movie when two thirds of the character cast had not had a movie about their individuality yet. And so you can't like they didn't want to follow or take the time to follow Marvel's, you know, very drawn out, thoughtful process of getting all of the the requisite characters together before they actually had a, you know, an actual Avengers movie. They had to get each individual person their own film, spend some time with them. You know, for the people who are watching this, maybe for the first time, not really experiencing those superhero characters and just spending a little bit of time with them. And DC films did not want to do that. And they were like, you know what? Fuck it. We did a Superman movie. Then we did a Batman and Superman movie. That's good enough, right? Let's just do a Justice League movie. They, did, so, they just didn't allot time. So, speaking of, a Warner Brothers tradition like no other. Mortal Kombat. And That's how right. the franchise building for this film franchise. Because they've already say, uh, uh, already uh, done press releases saying if this film does well, they already have like three or four more in the pipes. Which... That's a Warner Brothers thing. That's that's they they love to do that sort of thing. They like they they want to they they feel like they can prepare a franchise before it even has, has stable footing. Exactly. They're just like, "You know what? Would be awesome if we if we could get like six or seven movies out of this series." And so they they bank on that and it doesn't really bode well because you you want an authentic organic um in, fan increase you know so people actually speaking out and saying yes i want to see another one of those movies in the franchise whereas warner brothers kind of starts it from the opposite footing they're like we got an idea for a movie and it will have sequels it will be a franchise and then they go from there and that or was... they fuck it or they fuck it up bad enough to where they're like all right, well, we're doing a sequel, but it's not a sequel. It's basically a whole remake, like the new fucking Suicide Squad. It's like, hey, yeah. five years ago, uh, we fucked that up, but we're basically going to be doing the same thing again, but this time, even more lighthearted and, you know, fun. Yeah. And, and I it's almost, the same I, thing I, with, I, like, the dark universe that, that occurred, you know, with the, with the <laughs> universal <laughs> monsters that we, we covered, where it was like, we've got a great idea to just do a whole bunch of films in this dark universe series without really thinking about the quality of it and then it just fell on its face nothing happened it's one of the great shames that we've been robbed of like doing a dark universe film every year johnny depp is the invisible man was robbed russell crowe is dr jekyll and mr hyde terrible terrible uh terrible decision on their part to I almost think that Hollywood, especially when it comes to these like uh, franchises, um, they need to kind of go back and find themselves. They need to like kind of adapt a seventies auteur style. Give somebody that's you know either like the, not it doesn't even have to be like a big name like you know director or whatever or writer, but give somebody who's got a clear vision and just let them go. It could because that way at least it'll, you won't have a five billion hands in the cookie jar fucking everything up, and you'll live and die by that person's vision. 
It's one of the things I can kind of respect about, like when it comes to Star Wars, like The Last Jedi. It's a terrible film, and Rian Johnson did a terrible job bastardizing a lot of characters from the franchise. However, it was his vision and his vision alone that led that film down the shithole. That's why we got the Snyder cut all these years later, because Zack Snyder's like, I want to make, you know, make sure (laughs) that people remember Justice League for what it was supposed to be and not them, you know, being like, hey, Joss, you want to make some extra money? Yeah, sure. Well, you're right. You know, at least there was a vision involved. And I think when we talk about 2021's Mortal Kombat, um, I think that there is a vision here that's, you know, it's it's not necessarily um, the same vision that the original 1995 Mortal Kombat had, but there is a vision here of of a franchise that could potentially work. Um, How dare you say Paul W.S. Anderson doesn't have vision? Well, at, at that time, there was no, like, I don't know. I don't know if I would say that there was like a sequel vision. I'm not saying that Paul W.S. Anderson didn't have <laughs> a vision for the the film that he did. He certainly had a stylistic vision there. Um, not I'm not. But but I'm saying that this Mortal Kombat 2021 is significantly a different vision from that one. Um, they, this you, it's so weird, you know, how we go through. Uh, time periods and we just keep rebooting things and then you see the different ways to to um tackle a film or or a franchise the it's same just, fucking idea right exactly it's just it's kind of interesting you know because we went through we did we did uh, all the slasher remakes right and those are particularly different visions um than their original films you know they they certainly took the the idea behind those films, but they, that all the 2000 remakes, they go in different directions, um, considerably. And I think that's the same idea when we get to these remakes, like, you know, the 1995 Mortal Kombat versus this new one. Um, you see a very different stylistic decision that's made. Um, and here, you know, there's a semblance of like, Hey, this, this has history. You know, not not just from the video game perspective, but from the film perspective. Uh, but the 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 stylism stylism of this movie does not really do anything to try to like match the 1995 version. You know, I know a lot of people were thinking like, oh, is there going to be like you know nice techno sequences in this 2021 Mortal Kombat? Um, no, not to the extent <laughs> that like 1995 has. Um, it, you know, so, and it, the other thing is like, this is a hard R and the other one was a PG 13 that doesn't really, you know, it doesn't, uh, meet the, uh, gory fatalities that 2021's Mortal Kombat has. So there's a lot of differences between the two. Um, are either of them like particularly amazing movies? No, they have their own, um, I don't know, their own, uh, take on it and their own um, uniqueness. But I wouldn't say that they're either of them are amazing movies that really meet the Mortal Kombat um, franchises like style from the video games, at least. I think also too the big difference is the 95 uh, Paul Anderson, Paul W.S. Anderson, MK 
was right at the heat, you know, like the apex of Mortal Kombat as a franchise. By that point, um, for you kids out there who don't know, there used to be these things called arcades where you would pay quarters to play video games. And at that point, we were on our third Mortal Kombat game. It's been out for only a couple of years. Big success for Midway. And the movie comes out right at the height of Mortal Kombat. Now it's almost 30, like next year will be 30 years since the first game came out. Now they have a lot more to kind of go off of. And it's more like, you know, there's definitely, if you're somebody like me who's been a fan of the franchise since 1992, it's, there's a lot of stuff in here that's definitely fan servicey. Like the whole, and we'll get into it, but like all of like the te- uh, main temple that they're at is filled with fucking fan service. Yeah, I think that there's definitely like a step to some some wide differences here that, uh, you know, obviously point to a vision. And, and I've seen a lot of reviews about Mortal Kombat that really get to the heart of what I felt about it. Um, that it is basically a int- like a two hour long introduction. It's like a like a prelude, if you will, to what seems like the main event that we haven't even gotten to at the end of two hours. Um, so like you said, there is that vision towards a franchise. They're like, wow, we really want to set up a franchise here. We want to get more films going. Um, but the problem is that, like you said, they're kind of waiting to see how this one does. Does it, does it do extremely well? Does it fizzle out because there's not really a much of a box office right now, except the home box office. Um, which and is so, what, like I said, uh, when I was telling you, you're watching a movie, it's like life's great irony, HBO and that they're all saying like, yeah, we won't be doing like when the pandemic's over, we're not doing like these, you know, releases on, you know, HBO Max. And the fucking thing's called home box office, you know? Right, right. <laughs> but, but they're, so they're, they're preparing a franchise, but they're not knowing if it's actually going to go through because they don't want to risk spending the money on the next franchise if it doesn't do well, which is, I guess, a smart business move. But when you set up your first film to be basically a prelude to those sequels, that's like a very risky maneuver in itself because now you're saying you're you're really, I don't know, you're, it's almost like um, an Ouroboros, you know, like you're you're eating your own tail where you're saying, well, we want to make a franchise, so we're going to make a movie that leads up to a franchise, but we're not sure if this movie that leads up to a franchise is going to spawn a franchise. I, you know what I mean? It's 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 a... I'm not really sure exactly the reasoning behind that, but I would say that like, I don't know that they should have gone the route that they did with the storyline. They could have changed it a little bit and still had it so that it would, it could lead to a franchise, but it didn't rely on going towards like a sequel. Like you didn't have to have one. If there wasn't one. Okay. All right. It was a standalone movie and so be it. I, I think they definitely, and we'll get more, like I said, we'll get more into it when we break it down into the nitty gritty nuts and bolts. But I definitely think they could have done a much better job at framing the story. And that, like I said, and that's not just coming from a fan of the, fran- a, you know, big, huge fan of the franchise. That's just on a storytelling level. I think there's a lot of choices they made that are uh, pretty, pretty bad. I think the interesting thing about, you know, what they did do is that. It probably is pretty difficult to 
come up with a Mortal Kombat story um, that where you where you're starting things like you're you're you don't have you you have to kind of think like the audience is stupid that they don't have any other um, knowledge of Mortal Kombat whatsoever, and so you're starting from scratch. You got to set things up. You you you're not coming to it with like all these characters pre existing in the in the viewer's mind, even though. Most people have seen this movie probably are fans of Mortal Kombat, but I can imagine that there will be other people that are like, eh, it looks interesting. It's an action movie. I'll go see it. They have no idea anything else about Mortal Kombat. So you have to do you have to treat your audience like they're stupid. And Mortal Kombat has a very wide roster. And so you, you, you're kind of already at a disadvantage. You're like, how do I set this up? How do we introduce, you know, 12 different fighters into this movie? How do we come up with a storyline for those viewers who don't know anything about this this franchise whatsoever it it i i will give them that it's difficult it's hard hold to that, figure out saying, what's the starting point i was just saying um hold that until we get to like talk discussing like the <clears throat> the story altogether because i ha- i have a lot to critique on that <laughs> okay all right so <laughs> let's take a a, a break and we'll talk about the beer that we have on the show, and then we'll come back into Mortal Kombat. So, we had a couple beers that you wanted to talk about. We're not technically drinking anything particular for this show, but we've had it before. Um, so, I think one that you wanted to bring up was the Beer Tree Virtuosity. And that's a line that the Beer Tree Brewing Company makes. They do the Virtuosity series. And then in that series, they generally experiment with different flavors that include marshmallow. So a lot of times, it's like a, a type of fruit flavor IPA with marshmallow. And the one that we recently had, we've had a few different ones, but the one that we recently had was an or- a blood orange, marshmallow, and mango, was it? Mango. Yeah. Yes. Mango. And um, so... We've had some really good ones. I mean, there's one that I gave a five um, on Untapped, which is very uncommon for me to give out a five. Um, the virtuosity in general and Beer Tree's line um, it happens to be very good all the time. I'm, I'm pretty much always going out and getting a new Beer Tree beer because they just have so many and so many different IPAs and uh, experimental and just, ideas. And, and just before you go, uh, get too far, I just want to point out because I don't, they're not readily available across the states they're based out of port crane in new york uh, and over like the past like couple of years they've really started to kind of make their way distribution wise across like the state because for a lot like it was just until like the past you know two years that we started seeing stuff up here so yeah but if you def if you definitely live in the new york state you know new york state i would say if you can find it try their stuff because as Ryan said, their passion fruit, dragon fruit, marshmallow virtuosity, um, I gave a five as well as one of the best beers I've ever had. Yeah, this blood orange is um, unique for the vir- virtuosity line, um, mainly because it is a very, very sweet and tart beer from the virtuosity series. And that's because of the blood orange. The blood orange almost gives this beer an orange juice taste to it. It's, it's very pronounced. Um, so for one thing, if you are not a fan of like orange juice, this is not the beer for you. Um, it is definitely going to be, uh, one of those beers where the orange really comes out like very strongly flavored. Um, 
Blood Orange itself tends to be pretty tart. Um, I'm a big fan of Blood Orange. Um, one problem that I have with some of like the flavored Blood Orange beverages is that it tends to just taste like an or- like orange. The blood orange part of it that has like this distinctive flavor doesn't come out very often. Um, in this case, it does. So it has a blood orange flavor to it. And the marshmallow comes out as well. But what you tend to find with this is that you're drinking like a blood orange carbonated marshmallowy drink. It's not doesn't really taste like an uh, IPA uh, because a hop balance is not really significant enough to overpower the orange juice flavor. And um, the mango is like nowhere to be found in this one. But I will say that I did enjoy it, just not to the extent of the other virtuosity beers. Now I know uh, you were not a fan. No, I did. I did not care for it. Um, you're right. Yeah, I think I think blood orange. You do have to actually get that blood orange taste. That's uh, you know, like a blood a good blood orange is like a nice mix of like orange tartness, but it's also got that grapefruit bitterness. Mm-hmm. I was really looking forward to seeing how that paired with mango because I love mango. It, it just didn't work at all for me. The ma- the mango is, not, as you said, non-existent. I didn't get any mango flavor. I didn't taste any sweetness in the beer. It was just straight bitterness. Almost just like straight grapefruit bitterness. And it, it just didn't, you know, pair that well with the marshmallow. Um... The marshmallow is there, like you can taste. No, it, it was it was there, but I mean, it, like it's present in all all the, the virtuosity beers. But it's just, I don't think blood orange, like especially the, what the, the way it was presented in this beer, pairs well with marshmallow at all. I think you know, you want a nice sweet, you know, a sweet, you know, kind of flavor to pair with the marshmallow, um, to kind of enhance both, you know, flavors. Here, it was just like bitter. Almost like really bad fresh pressed orange juice and um, slight, you know, marshmallowiness. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan. I granted me saying it was like bad orange juice. I'm not saying like it's a like a god awful beer. Don't ever drink it. I'm saying it's just I don't think it captured the blood orange flavor well, and I, there's no mango either. So. I'd say definitely try it because you may it may appeal to you because blood orange is kind of a very I would say like a hard kind of thing to get down because it's such a precise and unique you know kind of fruit uh, profile. Mm-hmm. So the other one that you wanted to talk about was um, I think you want to talk about the artisanal right that I had. Yeah, you can talk about it. You. So the Artisanal Brew Works, which is a local craft brewery in our area in Saratoga, um, they've been making these Warheads sour beers. Um, they're technically beers, but they're more like malt beverages. Um, so they've, they've done a, a line of malt beverages for, with the Warheads line. It's actually officially um, licensed by Warheads as well. So that's the official flavor and like uh, um, artificial coloring of a warhead and the, I like the, uh, the malt beverages. I think they're pretty good, uh, nicely sour. Um, and I think we've talked about them on the show before, 
Uh, they started, this is their first time making hard seltzer, uh, since everybody's making hard seltzer now. They had to get into it. And they decided to make the Warheads as a uh, hard seltzer. And they did it in very limited batches. Uh, they were actually only available at the brewery on one Saturday. Uh, but our local beer store managed to snag a few cases of it. Um, I got the last one when I went over there the other day. And so I tried the Watermelon Warheads beer, t- uh, Warheads Hard Seltzer, excuse me, today. Um, I thought it was actually really good. It has the watermelon flavor that you would expect from a, from the Warheads and, and actually very similar to the malt beverage flavor, except it's, you know, obviously it's a hard seltzer. So the, the amount of flavor is not as pronounced and you're getting more of a hard seltzer aftertaste. Nice carbonation. Um, and carbonation. What I will say is that this beer does not have the sometimes there's a very um chemically artificial sugar taste to hard seltzers that uh happens on the aftertaste um and this one does not have that so it it was a very i I felt it was very smooth for hard hard seltzer a very good uh first experiment for them since it's the first hard seltzer that they've ever made uh so i was uh pretty impressed with the watermelon um Especially for people who don't really like beer, too. Um, this hard seltzer would be the go-to for them if they want to try out that Warheads flavor, uh, but without like the beer taste to it. So I definitely was impressed with the watermelon flavoring. Um, I know a couple other people that I had seen review this, and they were not as big of a fans of some of them, like Black Cherry um, and the watermelon. But for me, this was really good. I, I, I thought it was a, a good experiment and... I'm uh, excited to try the others, which I think are, I think it's lemon, black cherry. Um, I can't remember the other one. It might be blue raspberry that they did. That's what I say. That's what it was for the war, regular warheads. Uh, yeah, that we had was was the lemon, blue raspberry. No, yeah, it wasn't actually, water. It was, it was lemon. It was wait, hold on. No, it wasn't lemon. It was watermelon, it grape, watermelon, grape, blue yeah. raspberry, and black cherry. Yeah, they didn't have the lemon in the other pack. So I'm excited to try those ones and see, you know, how they did. Um, but but I, I was impressed with the hard seltzer flavor. And I'm not really a huge fan of hard seltzer. I definitely will drink them. Like if there's a hard seltzer around, I'll take it. Um, but it's not my go-to. So it's not something that I'm always excited to have. A um, good mango hard seltzer is delightful. I would, I would rather, like if there is beer or hard seltzer, I'm going to go with the beer. But... Um, well, depends on the beer, obviously, but, um, for the most part, I prefer beer, but I will go with hard seltzer and I was, uh, I was definitely impressed by this. So, um, I doubt anybody listening is actually going to be able to get any of this. Um, it was very limited and they may be making more, but I don't think that they're, you know, going very far out of the local area. So, but keep in mind, Saratoga, New York, Warheads beer and seltzer. Anything else that you wanted to bring up on here? I think we got to the two big ones. Uh, the only thing I have left to plug is um, it's that time of year again, folks, uh, where we should be collecting Genesee money. We're not. We're not sponsored by them, but we're just big fans of the product. Their Ruby Red Colch is out again, and it came out early this summer because of COVID. So, and the distribution's getting larger and larger so if you can find it pick up the best beer you'll have all summer absolutely very delicious 
All right, so on to Mortal Kombat 2021. Um, obviously, we came back from a hiatus of podcasting to do Mortal Kombat, so we have some interest in the film. Um, and Martin, as you have probably heard on the show as previously, when we did the original Mortal Kombat film, um, he has definitely a, a, a vast love of the franchise. So... That was one of the reasons that prompted us to bring the podcast back since, you know, Mortal Kombat was going to be a big release. Um, And not only that, but we saw the film in theaters. We actually went. Bothered to do that. I know. We went to the theater. So just a a quick note. It was safe. I'm fully vaccinated. Martin is half-vaxxed. And our theater is basically... Uh, you know, like town square on Christmas day. So, uh, there's barely anyone there on a good day. So we felt it was pretty safe to go. And just to say, going back to the theater, uh, for one, I really enjoyed going back to the theater. It's been a long time since I've been, I think it's been like a year since I've actually been to the theater and that was fun. Just, you know, fun to watch a movie on a big screen with Fairly good sound system uh, for for our small movieplex, and then the other thing was it was it you know in there I felt very safe. You know there was no uh, danger of being exposed to anybody. Uh, the seats were blocked off, so you could only take like every other aisle. Obviously, no one sat next to each other, and there's only about what like eight other people in the theater at the time with us. I don't even think that. I think there was two to the left of us and two behind us. That was it. Maybe six, because there was two to the left of us, two to the right of us, and two behind us. So I think there might have been six other people in the movie in, in total. Plus, um, by going to the movie theater, we had the ticket girl giving us Mortal Kombat puns. She was. Yes, she was. So I just wanted to point out that though we went to the theater, it was very safe. And if you do plan on going out to the theater, just keep that in mind of... Uh, you know, you're, know your surroundings, know the busyness of your theater and the times that are it's busy. And I think you're pretty safe, especially if you got vaccinated, you're safe to go now. It's very low risk for you. So with that said, um, let's talk about the good things that this Mortal Kombat brings to the table. So... I'll let Martin start off because this is really Martin's podcast this time. A lot of times I lead the podcast, but this time this is really Martin's show. So go ahead, Martin, take it away. What did, what did Mortal Kombat 2021 do well in your, in your eyes? Um, it's a movie about Mortal Kombat. Okay. So just the, the conceit alone is enough where it's like, all right, as a good film, new line made it. Keep okay. Tra- Keeping with tradition. Um, they have an assortment of characters. That are from the franchise. They didn't yes. take anyone and make anyone up. These yeah. are not glowing, resounding examples that you're bringing to the what do they do well camp. Um, the poster was cool. The, uh, you know, the putting the two guys that look very similar yeah, the Sub-Zero and Scorpion, you know, but that's also a misleading poster, but it's, you know, it looks nice. I thought Kano, the the guy that played Kano, Josh Lawson, I think he did a, he was fun. With his Australian accent. Yeah, well, you know, 
as I told you when it came, uh, we were watching, I go, uh, this goes back to the uh, Paul W.S. Anderson MK. Originally, Kano wasn't even Australian. You didn't know what he was in the video game. He became characterized in the games afterwards as Australian because the guy that played Kano in the first film was so fucking cool. It was memorable. Became so in the zeitgeist. In the games, did Kano even speak? Like, was there any indication of his nationality? No, because in the those, you know, those games that no one spoke. It was just grunts, right? Was, yeah, just grunts. So, yeah. so there was no indication, like, no, no that he was Australian. That he was Australian. No, you knew that he was a member of the Black Dragon Clan, but you didn't know. When you say Black Dragon Clan, that doesn't make you immediately think he's Australian. No. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, he's from Hong Kong or something like that. Not uh, He's like a criminal organization. Well, speaking yeah. of, again, kind of going back, I'm pretty sure in the original MK, uh, the first MK movie, when Sonya and Jax go breaking in to chase down Kano and that, he is in Hong Kong. They find him, they track him down in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. At that rate, that's, that's that was what that really on. makes you think of is like Hong Kong, Black Dragon, uh, stuff like that. And you don't really immediately think Australian, but you know what? Breaking boundaries there. But I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, that's, you know, it's about it. So those were your only good takeaways from Mortal Kombat. I'm, I'm surprised. I thought you would at least have a little bit more to say about the good in it. Maybe you're, maybe you're swayed. You're too biased. You're too, too biased well, towards. No, I I don't think I'm too biased. I think a lot of people, I think I'm an outlier on this. From what I, because I didn't like I said, I didn't really pay attention to any reviews or what fans were saying, like you know, diehards of the franchise were saying. And I started to look afterwards, and most people like it. This film a lot, you know, and took more away, you know, and just you know, mainly enjoyed it for the fun, stupid romp that it is. Um, which it, I mean, it is a stupid romp. But I th- I think it w- the way it went about trying to convey things I don't think works well. Hmm. But well, I mean I, I I you know so I would say that I'm in the in that camp of uh, you know I'm not a huge Mortal Kombat fan I can't play fighter games worth a shit so it doesn't really you know I'm not one to follow the it's just the, because you lack discipline that's right I'm not one to follow the lore of the Mortal Kombat series I played it used to play the originals quite a bit when I was younger. Um, the, in my older age, I just don't have the patience anymore to lose a bunch of times. So <laughs> um, I haven't, and, and also be, being a completionist, that really grinds my gears if I like can't, I literally can't do things because I don't have the patience to learn combos. So I haven't really gone into the later series as much. Um, and anyways, when I used to play, the originals, I wasn't really concerned with any sort of storyline or lore about it. I was just more concerned with like, oh, there's blood flying around. That's kind of cool. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm one of the weird kids that, you know, like, when, like, yeah, I like it. It's fun. There's gore and it's, you know, cool and shit. But and I'm like, I really like the story behind this, you know? Right. Yeah. I never really know. got into the story at all. So I'm not even that well versed on the different realms and the different, um, like different races and things like that that are in Mortal Kombat. I don't really have much of an experience with that. Um, so me coming to it in that sense, I found I felt like I fall into that camp of where I said, you know what? This is a big, dumb, stupid action movie. And I enjoyed it for what it is, being a big, dumb, stupid action movie. 
um, that is inoffensive in the way that it portrays this action. Um, it is, it has some humor, sometimes cringy humor, I would say, you know, it, more to the, like, almost trying too hard with the humor. But I enjoyed it for what it was, which is a big, dumb, stupid action movie that you can just sit back and zone out for two hours and just kind of enjoy. I think, though, like I said, I think, though, if you're like someone like you, a layman who doesn't really, you know, isn't really into the fighting, you know, into the series and not really into the lore, it's fine. You know, it's, you know, it's what, you know, whether you like it or not, it's going to depend on your mileage on how much you like the fight scenes and like that you get out of it. Mm -hmm. I think, though, like for me. There's way too much. There's way too many exposition dumps. Mm hmm. Like that may like come off as you know fine to somebody who doesn't know like oh whatever but like if you know if you have like an inkling of shit you know anything that's you know Mortal Kombat related it comes off as like tedious as shit like you got Kung Lao when Kung Lao shows up you know he teleports and is real you know and saves Liu Kang it looks really cool you know and badass because that's one of his uh special moves you know is uh the teleport. But then when he shows up, you got to have, like, I am Kung Lao, ancestor of the great Kung Lao, former Mortal Kombat champion. And it's like, oh. Like, you couldn't have done that in a more graceful way to introduce who he is? You know? Well, that's, so, I guess we're getting into, like, some of the, the what it didn't do well uh, scenarios. But I would say that this is what I was talking about in the introduction, where um, this is ultimately a very difficult thing to do when you have a movie that is basically starting from scratch forcing the the director and the writer to bring layman into the fold and say hey here's mortal Kombat in a nutshell and here are 12 characters you know 12 fighters and here are their very 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 fast backstories and how they got here and so that is difficult in itself to do in a two hour film, no matter what. I mean, in some ways, Mortal Kombat almost would work better as a, as a uh, TV series where you are given like very specific episodes about specific fighters and given their backstories and given their, um, you know, how they came to be, because that's basically what Mortal Kombat tries to do in this film is it tries to very, very quickly Say, here's a tattoo that people get when they become fighters in the tournament. And this is how it happens. And here are, you know, 12 different people who are participating in this tournament. And here's why. It, that think, is a lot to fit in. I think I think it might be easier instead of trying to break it down to good and bad. Just kind of go through the story. You know, kind of beat by beat. Just be kind of. Well, it, I because I think I think I think I think about it, but. Well, because I I think well I think because the main problem is it's it, you're being sold on like okay there's a great tournament that gets fought to determine whether or not Earth is fought you know mm -hmm. saved or not how the people get there and then why is this tournament being held and then the tournament happens that should be the fucking plot of the film mm -hmm. it's not it's a two hour prequel of whole bunch of nonsense about being pre-selected and preordained to fight in the tournament by this stupid fucking dragon tattoo that, you know, allows you to fight and all this secrecy. And then there's no fucking tournament to be had. Mm -hmm. 
And then it's it's leading into afterwards, like who the hell knows? Because it's, because it's kind of taking elements of like the first MK store, you know, game. And then like the third MK game, kind of like smashing them all into one. I would definitely say that that is a one area that they, the storyline didn't really pick its battles very well. So I get the the difficulty of bringing all these people together and trying to trying to give them all backstories, like very quick backstories. That's 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 definitely difficult. But what they did do was they basically set up a very interesting scenario. Hey, all these people are going to fight in a tournament. And then they didn't capitalize on that. They didn't actually do any of that. They instead made it so that what the what these people were actually fighting for was to get to the tournament in general. Um, if, if anything, if, if anything, what they should have done was you don't need, like, I do find the, like the dragon tattoo and then unlocking special, like a special power to be, it it, is a good idea because in the games, you don't really know like how Sonya shoots out like those rings now in the more modern games, because it's more high tech. You can, they added like, you know, robot gadgets, like she's got like guns on her arms, you know? Stuff like that to, like, kind of make it, you know, more like, oh, she's not, like, gifted with anything. She's, like, got a robot, you know, as they've been able to add detail. But I do like that because it kind of is like, oh, how does Kano shoot, you know, an eye laser? In the game, it's because he's got a robotic eye. But here they're adding, you know, before he, assuming that he's eventually going to get his robotic eye, you know, it's because he unlocks his ability. Same thing with, like, Liu Kang. It's like... It's a nice idea. I think, though, like, with some characters, what they do, like, Jax, it's fucking stupid. But basically, like, I think you didn't need to, like, make it, like, that they were preordained to be, like, fighting in this tournament. In the the games, they all have, like, motivations, like, to why they want to be there. Liu Kang is obviously because he's the hero. He's been trained his whole life for the tournament because he's part of the White Lotus Society. Kano, he's a mercenary. He wants to make money. He heard he can make money from doing it. Johnny Cage, he's been called a failed fighter, like a, like a fake fighter. And he's going to the tournament to try to prove that he's like a top fighter. That's all you need to do. That's what the fucking first, you know, the original movie did. And it worked out fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I like the idea. I like the idea of getting all those backstories of here's how, here's what happened. and But... This works better, like I said, it works better episodically. It, like, that works in an anime that has a long-range time frame in order to show, hey, here's the training sequence. Here's the learning how to do certain move sequence. Here's the, um, you know, here here's the sensei part of it. Mortal Kombat is like... A 13 the, episode. Right, it's like the whole run of, like, the training element. And when you think about those anime f- shows, you know... You don't necessarily want a full 13 episodes of filler about how they got to be their powerful self. It's nice to have, but it's it, it often slows down the pacing of things. So to have Mortal Kombat be an entire film about that um, with some fighting interspersed in between is, is, is kind of gutsy because it's not a great start to your franchise if that's where it's beginning. Um you know, you would think they would want to have done more of the tournament thing, even if it wasn't the main tournament. Like, like maybe we're building up to the new tournament, and they're showing us, like, the past tournament, but 
what what we get instead is like a, just a prequel. It's like a, you know, two hours of, hey, here's an introduction to what we actually wanted to show you. But that's coming next in it two makes, years when we get that ready. Well, it makes Raiden look fucking inept as all hell. Like if this is like he's not like. He is also supposed to be part of it, like in the game's lores, he's protector of Earthrealm, but he does have like a hand in like choosing who is going to be fighting like you know in the and you get to see that in the movie like where like why is he like there's hundreds of people at the mortal Kombat tournament why is he hanging out with Liu kang and sonia and johnny cage and he says it's because he's looked into their souls and they will not you know save earth you're the only ones that have a chance to but you're not ready and you need to be trained mm. again perfect setup gives each you know and then he like runs down like Liu kang you're you know you're afraid Sonya, you're, you know, afraid of help, you know, getting help from people and you like giving them basically like, you know, things that they need to overcome. No one here in this film has anything to overcome except Cole from getting his ass whooped. I think the other thing that this film does, and this might seem like an oxymoron here, but um, the way that it went about doing this film, you know, we can't change the way that this film, like the storyline was going to be. But what I can say is I think there's too many characters for the storyline um, where you've got the film going after like I, I, I would say like second rate Mortal Kombat characters, maybe third rate sometimes. Well, um, for, but, for our champions, I would say you have the right people. Right, you know? right. Yep. I, I would say for Shang Tsung, for Shang Tsung, I call it Shang Tsung and the Jabroni Squad because they brought the C team out of, you know out of what, you know, basically his little squad of assassins is, which is fucking ridiculous. The fact that, like, they have in this, the goal to have in this movie, Natara and Reiko, is just idiotic. Because unless, like, that's, they they were basically put in there for fan service. Like, hey, remember this? Remember this character? You know, and then they, jo- the fact they job Goro out is ridiculous. Make him right. look like Goro fucking- is, yeah, yeah, Goro being one of the, like, a very you know, important villain becomes sort of like, you know, it's, it's not even that he's, as I say, it's not even, he's not just important. He's the champion of mortal combat. Right. And the, as I say, like in the game's story, you know, lore, it's not Shang Tsung. Who's the champion at that time. It's Goro. Shang Tsung was, he lost to the great Kung Lao on the 10th tournament. Shang Tsung comes back with Goro. The next tournament kills the great Kung Lao. And then for the next, Eight tournaments after that, Goro wins every time. So there's no need, like, the fact that they don't even have Goro as the champion in this is stupid because the whole premise is, well, we gotta stop the prophecy of happening of Hanzo Hosashi's bloodline from rising and stopping us from winning when it's like, and then break the rules of Mortal Kombat when it's like, Goro's your champion. Goro's been beating everyone's ass for 500 years. And then the the whole fucking you know scorpion bloodline thing is just fucking stupid. The like the only reason they did it is because like you know Sub Zero and Scorpion are the two big you know well known well liked characters from the series. But story plot you know plot line wise, it's just another added complicated fucking convoluted mess of bullshit. Right, because that adds like another element of B story to this movie of the whole you know. And actually, I would say almost less of a B story than what they intended to be the A story because the entire film starts out with their, 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 you know, their, their 
um, the reasoning behind this whole um, scenario with between Scorpion and Sub-Zero. And then it kind of peters out in the middle of the movie, and then it comes back again at the end. But that's not the main focus of the rest of Mortal Kombat, even though it bookends the film. It's so it's a weird it's a weird way that they plotted that because yeah, it's it made, it made for movie, a good but, open. It made for a good opening, like the, yeah, the right. first like seven minutes of the film. Yeah, it's pretty cool and all, but like what it adds to the story, it's just fucking. I acting. feel like yeah, I feel like they almost started with that as like that was going to be the film, like that was going to be the crux of you know the the plotting, and then it ends up not really being a big part of the the whole plotting. It. it I, I'm not sure. I think there's just two opposing storylines that kind of conflicted there. I don't know if there was like some rewriting or things like that, but um, it definitely is a weird transition between like, oh, Scorpion and Sub-Zero. That's going to be a really important part of Mortal Kombat. Um, and then <laughs> it ends up not being. I don't know if there was like a change and they, they were like, you know, this is not a Sub-Zero movie. This is a Mortal Kombat movie. So we need to lessen the amount of storyline that we spend on Sub-Zero and and Scorpion. I don't know, but it 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 does make for a really weird transition between the storylines. It doesn't really come together very well. Um I think the other problem with Mortal Kombat in general is that Cole is a very bland main character. He's Well, he, that he Cole Young name is not like, ooh. <laughs> Cole Young, you got, your, your you got, favorite fighter. You got Sonya Sonya Blade, Jackson Briggs, Kung Lao, Cabal, and then Cole Young. <laughs> yeah that is true i mean he, he has like the the whitest dude name and he's not white cole it, young it, it, like it's kind of you know what it hit him it being sounds like film, a country I, singer to be honest with you it sounds like you know guy driving around a truck playing grand now. old opry now <laughs> i was gonna say you know what it reminds me of his uh, him and his family like his wife and you know kid being in this you know what it reminds me of when you're watching the 2013 Godzilla and you got to deal with the soldier's family and you're just like, nobody cares. Nobody yeah, cares. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that is, that is true because they really do use that as a plot device. It's like, uh, like the, the, um, woman in the refrigerator sort of thing where, you know, it's like, oh, your family's in danger. Um, and then what does Cole do? Leaves them alone. And goes to an and goes to train and like like eh, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, let me pull out my cell phone though because I've got service down here in uh, the uh, training ring uh, down in the <laughs> you know down in Earth's crust. But I mean, it's just like, like I said, it's like it's a. I almost feel like maybe they wanted to make a new lead to like as something to set like as a selling point. Like oh yeah, like you know, and then like. That's why they have the whole ties of like Hanzo Hasashi's blood. Like he's, which if you don't know that, that's Scorpion, Hanzo Hasashi's Scorpion. But like, that's why they're adding that. Like, oh yeah, you know, so he can be like, you know, not Scorpion, but he's a descendant of Scorpion. And, uh, you know, it's like a kind of like a merchandising. Cause like, if they're like, yeah, we're going to have Luke King when, you know, the tournament again, they are probably like, oh, that's a little too, who's going to buy that these days. Which is I'm ridiculous. honestly disappointed. They just have Robin Show play him again. I'm honestly disappointed that they wasted Reptile and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Because in this film, Reptile appears as an actual lizard, like, lizard creature. 
And they don't even call him by reptile. They call him by his actual name, which is like, uh, what is it? Sizoth. Sizoth. Yeah, yeah. The race that he's, uh, that he is. And so that really caught me off guard because I'm I'm used to reptile as being like the guy that looks like Sub-Zero, but he's green. You know what I mean? Like he, (laughs) and that's what I've always known reptile as. So that really caught me off guard. I was annoyed that that was how they used reptile and kind of just cast him off. Cast him aside. No, you're not wrong. I mean, but there's like so many weird things. Like, like you know, it's weird too because for the most part of the film, they refer to Sub Zero as Bihan, which, if you know the game's lore, Bihan's the first Sub Zero. He's the one in the first Mortal Kombat. He gets killed by Scorpion in that, and then the Sub Zero in the games after that is Kwai Lang, his younger brother, who takes up the mantle of Sub Zero. And then Bihan becomes Noob Saibot. He becomes a Wraith later on. Mm. It's kind of, but like I said, it's kind of weird that they keep referring him to Bihan because, like I said, unless you're a fucking fan of the franchise, you're not gonna, you're not gonna know, right? And the same yeah. thing too with like Melina being around. Like, she, yeah, she is one of Shang Tsung's assassins, but the fact that she's not wearing her mask the entire time, and you get to see her having like you know her crusty smile. It's it's not like they explain how that happened. Like, oh yeah, she's actually a clone of Katana, who's not even in the film. All you see is one of her fans in the background. It's like, ooh, look at that. Yeah, uh, and Raiden's temple. And so it's like it's, you don't know that she's actually a clone of Katana and a you know uh, Tarkatan warrior because Baraka's not in here either. So it's it's style all this, that kind of stuff's just kind of like weird choices right i will say like from a layman that doesn't bother me like i I did because it wouldn't even uh, i wouldn't even know about it so like sort of that sort of thing that you're pointing out yes like people that love world combat would probably take take offense to that for me didn't really factor into my like or dislike of the movie because i didn't know anything about it but you're right in terms of context some of that information is just not there it you know when you're talking about Melina and stuff like that. You just you're just like, oh, I don't understand why she's like the way she is, but the film says she is. So, like, well, like I said, because they re- they rely way too much on exposition. So, like when they like all sh- like when the fucking Jabroni Squad shows up, he's like, oh yes, Melina, my great assassin and Prince Goro. It's so great to have you on our side. And um, I'm going to oh watch this. He's going to steal his soul. This is really fun. It hurts real bad, you know. And- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I would say that there's a lot of like just glossing over, especially for the villains part. The like they, they don't really go into much detail about any of those people. That's just kind of like, yeah, this is my henchman guy. And uh, so here's a girl that has a messed up mouth and teeth and she doesn't really talk. But here's Cabal, who seems to be just a guy in an iron lung suit. Yeah, which, by the way, Cabal is originally, he shows up in MK3. Yeah. He's actually I mean, becomes one of Earth's champions. I mean, he was a Black Dragon member but he becomes one of Earth's champions because there wasn't a lot left to pick from. And so he does know Kano, and, you know, they were both members at the same time, but he didn't work originally. He wasn't working for Shang Tsung. So, I mean, like, again, like, it's kind of cool that he was shown because Cabal is a pretty badass character, that Iron Long and, you know, the hook swords and shit. But it's just kind of, you know, like, he's just running around cracking wise and, like, expositing shit. Yeah, yeah, that's... So... Like I said, you, you definitely you get information, but not enough. Like you just don't know much about any of these villains 
uh, to really care if they die, if they reappear in the next movie. Like, they're just kind of there. Our world looks like shit, too. Every time, like, a few times we get to see them in Outworld, it looks like shit when they're like, oh, yes, Outworld is a terrible place and it's going to conquer Earth if we lose this tournament. And then, like, when they shrink Shang Tsung in Outworld, it just looks like crap. (laughs) (laughs) It just looks like a random desert shot and them on, like, a CGI cliff, like, oh, yes, there's Natara flying above. So great to have you. I will say... That I thought that the fatalities were pretty good. Um, until they were, like, saying flawless victory. Yes, until they really needed to force in, like, the actual... Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, yeah. Yeah, from the game. Um, that that was annoying because it just kind of, like... I don't know. It I, They're trying to, like, break the fourth wall, but also... I, I don't know. It just, it just didn't work for me to have, like, them throwing in, like, fight... And they, uh, did, they did have like Kerry Tagawa as Shang Tsung in the, in the uh, first MK movie do that, but he was sinister and awesome enough to make it like you know really believable when Sub Zero froze a guy and then blasted him to be like flawless victory, you know. This one, like Kung Lao, is like smiling after he rams Natara's head through you know his but his hat, buzzsaw hat, yeah, yeah. and he's like, yeah, I would say the like the gore effects are pretty good. Um, so I think that that, you know, that holds up, but the, you do have to deal with the annoying, um, you know, interjections of, of stuff that you would hear in the game. Um, the other thing that I thought, um, was pretty cool was how fucking ripped Liu Kang is, even though he's like, he's like very lean, but ripped as hell. That CrossFit workout, bud. Yeah. And I, I got to give it out to Ludi Lin for that physique that he's got going on because I was surprised. He kind of looks like he's just like an any old guy. You know, he's just mm-hmm. like a, you know. Every man. He's yeah. ripped the like, shit. Yeah, I eat burritos too. Huh? <laughs> and then he takes off his his uh, little uh, robe and you just see like every every single line of muscle on his upper body. See, again, why could, like, if you're gonna have, like, Ludi Lin as Liu Kang and be ripped to shit like that, why is, why is he not the, you know, the game that's, just have him be the one to win. You don't need fucking Cole Young walking around being the guy. Kind of pointless. Yeah, is the payoff at the end with the Scorpion and um, Sub-Zero fight worth it? No, it's fucking stupid. The uh, ice cage match? That's another thing, too, about this movie. The fucking fight scenes and where they're doing it. Bland as shit. Cage match, ice cage match, and in a sand pit. Well, you could see in some ways that at the end where they all split up and they all have their own fights to do, they were trying to throw back to the game where it's like, oh, here's an arena that they're going to fight in, and here's the two fighters. Um, You know, because they they made sure that it wasn't like a a Marvel movie where everybody's kind of teamed up. No, well, like... I, know, I know, but at the same time, though, I mean, those fight scenes are short and not really that well shot either. Like they're really close up, so you can't. There's not like a great, you know, yeah, great scope, in, in, great scope to what dark. they're doing. Sometimes too dark as well. Like they were, they're kind of like, 
um, I don't know, just shadowy, where you, you can't see a whole lot. Anything else that you uh, you wanted to complain about, I guess I will say. Yeah, actually, there is. Um... <laughs> oh, God. Frickin', um... I, I, uh, I don't know how I feel, too, about the whole um, Scorpion trying to, like, speak to Cole, like, unleash me. Unleash, you know. Oh, through, like, the flashback, or the, well... Not, they're not really flashbacks, but they're like uh, uh, visions that yeah. he has. Yeah, because the whole ori- the whole original idea of Scorpion is that he's a hell spawned wraith because he's bent on avenging his clan, the uh, Shirayu, against Sub Zero. So the fact that he's fu- been trying to do that, but instead of doing that, he's just like, I'm going to uh, I'm going to sit here and uh, wait for my lineage down the line to be able to do that mm-hmm. and not even really be a wraith until the end like so where does where does he go from here where does squirt like how because now that the, the fact that they made him you know like a part of Cole, where do they go from here like how does scorpion get shoehorned into the films later on does that become part of cole's talent is he like can morph into scorpion like the way they kind of chose to go about it is kind of like going to be like hard from from here on out to be like, oh, how do we get Scorpion back? Right, right. I mean, basically, the film sort of ends with the note that hey, even death isn't really dead. Like they they can they'll they'll come back. So it's like and the fact too, and say the fact too that they were focusing on Sub Zero's body after he died and it was kind of turning black. That's hinting that he's going to become Noob Cybot later on. That he'll be, you know, uh, a wraith himself. Yeah, they were definitely like hinting that, hey, we can bring these people back. It's no, you know, we'll bring them back. Like I said, my bit, my biggest uh, sticking point with this film, like I, it's just I don't like the fact that, like, what fucking tournament is there? There's no tournament. It, like the fact they say like afterwards and they like come up with a plan on how to you know take him down when cole has like i'm you know i'm the leader now after kung lao got his fucking soul sucked out of him you know like i'm the leader and this is what we're gonna do and everyone follows suit you know um and that's when they're like this is how we're gonna fight our tournament and it's like that's not the tournament like the rules to mortal Kombat, like you know and how the tournament actually works has always been kind of like a mystery because for instance in like the games you have sometimes like Earth Realm versus fighting for Outworld. Okay. Fine. They decide to ally with Outworld. But Outworlders can't fight for Earth Realm. So, like, Master Boraicho, which he gets a little, you know, Easter egg not mentioned by Liu Kang. He's from Outworld, but he trained Liu Kang in Kung Lao. He can't fight for Earth in the Mortal Kombat tournament because then he'd be on the side of Outworld, even though he's an ally of Earth Realm. So shit like that's never made sense, you know. But here, like again, like there's like there's literally no tournament. It's just Sh- Shang Tsung wants to stop the tournament from happening because they're gonna lose. He thinks. Why we don't know. It's just, and then it's just a clusterfuck. I honestly would have enjoyed the film a lot more if they just had a fucking straight up tournament, and then 
just here's the matchups, have these fight scenes. Mm-hmm. It's not hard. To just do what fucking Enter the Dragon and Bloodsport did. All right. So should we give this film a rating? Oh, we didn't talk about the music. How do you feel about the music? The music is, I, I guess I would say that I didn't really find it to be like anything. I didn't really notice it that much. Obviously, it's not the techno that you come to expect from, you know, the original Mortal Kombat movie. Um, the song's there somewhere if you look hard enough. It is, yeah, it is there. <laughs> if you search your heart deep enough, you know, you'll find, like, where it is, but then you're like, oh. Yeah. Bummer. But That's another thing that kind of sucks about this film. The s- soundtrack, it's not bad, but it doesn't fit the film. It's, like, so... It's so very like minute and like understated. Like it doesn't get your blood pumping like like when you think of the original Mortal Kombat like it's not like there's you know it's just like Yeah, I would just say that it's 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 muted. It doesn't really have much of an impact on on that you know on the the events that are happening on screen. I it, it's not not really noticeable really. All right. Did we get did we get everything that you want to talk about? No, there is one more thing. Oh, one more thing. All right. So, this is really inside baseball here. So, part of like the the cool thing about um Raiden's temple uh is they have all the easter egg like all these little easter eggs of like things on podiums and shit. And one of them is you get this nice little funny scene where um Kano grabs an amulet. If you know anything about the games, that's Shinnok's amulet. It's like the most one, of, like the most powerful MacGuffin in the whole fucking franchise that they have several games like fighting over. The fact that if Ra- Raiden had Shinnok's amulet and just left it lying around like that, he's a fucking idiot. Raiden in this franchise is a fucking idiot. Yep, that I did not. You know, again, that would not stand out to like anybody. I mean, it is funny because he grabs it and then Liu Kang's like, now put it back. And he's like, what? Put what back? (laughs) But I mean, it's just, you know. See, that would have been interesting because they could have went that way of like, great Kano steals the, you know, Shinoxy amulet. And then because, like I said, it's a MacGuffin that happens later in the lore like if he gave it to like Shang Tsung or Quan Chi's off you know somewhere doing something mm-hmm. you know that would have been nifty but they, they didn't do that nope. uh, I'll say lastly too because we didn't really talk about people in the f- film I think you know uh, Louis Tan's Cole Young he's m- meh but I don't really blame him for him being meh, because with a name like Cole Young, you're not really going to be destined for greatness. And he's pretty bland. I think Je- uh, Jessica McNamee, uh, pretty good as Sony Blade. I actually thought she was pretty good. I liked her. Josh Lawson as Kano's definitely steals the show. Uh, McCod Brooks is Jax. He's all right. And then, like, Ludi Lin's pretty good as Liu Kang, too. I don't really care for. Um, 
the guy who played Shang Tsung. I don't really care for his uh, Chin Han. I don't really uh, care for his performance as much, but that, I mean that's mainly because uh, Carrie to- uh, Tagawa is always going to be Shang Tsung. I mean, hell, he's so you know pop culture zeitgeist that they put him in MK11. They had him come back to do the voice and made him him look like you know his actual appearance. So, and I like the fact that. Nate Jones is Rako, just because I'm glad to see Nate Jones getting any work. That's all I got. Alright. So we gotta give this film a rating. So, do you want to come up with a scale? Do you got a scale? No, you usually come up with this. I'll leave it to you. Hmm. Alright, let's see. On a scale... Trying to trying to think of of a good one in here that would not give away some parts of the movie, but also be noticeable, recognizable. Um, on a scale of one to ten, hmm, I don't got anything. I don't got anything. All right, I don't scale of one to ten. Rako's hammers, because he carries around a hammer like he's fucking Shao Kahn, though he's not. Like a yeah, like a sledgehammer. He's got. All right, Rako's hammers. Uh, what would you give Mortal Kombat twenty twenty one? I give it a five. Um, the more I've kind of sat and pondered on it, the less I've come to think of it. It doesn't anchor me as a film. Like, it doesn't really, like, I mean, I'm annoyed by parts of it. I'm just kind of glad, like, it's back in the zeitgeist and it's cool to see. And, like, I do want to see where they go from here. But the fact that this is a fucking two-hour prelude to what ends up being, at the end, like, a clusterfuck on how they went about it is mainly what pisses me off. Honestly, like, the cast, I don't really fault the cast. I think most of them did a fine enough job. I honestly think the main flaw in this film is it's just fucking batshit stupid plot line of we're going to take the Sub-Zero Scorpion rivalry, distill it down into something stupid, and then have a movie about a tournament that's going to decide the fate of the world and then not even explain what really what the fucking tournament is nor have the tournament and then lead into what's going on next. Cause Shang Tsung at the end says next time I won't bring, you know, assassins, I'll bring an army. So what does that mean? Are we going to actually have the tournament next time? Or are we going to have MK three happen where, you know, he invades, they don't explain the rules of like how the elder gods manage this shit at all. Like, again, like if you're not a fan of the franchise and you're watching this, when Raiden says, like, you know, exposits about that shit, it's very passing and flippant. So you don't fucking know. So, I mean, and as as somebody who does understand the lore and plot line, it's just a total clusterfuck. The fatalities are cool. I don't approve of Goro getting jobbed out like a bitch. <laughs> um, and I, I, they got a lot of this. I do hope hope they do another one, but I, they got a lot of making up to do. They got to get somebody who knows what the fuck's 
going on and plot it out better. Because though it's nice, because Johnny Cage should have been in this film. That they're hinting that when the next film comes around, that Johnny Cage will be there because he says he's going Cole at the end's like I'm going to Hollywood to find Johnny Cage. You know that's pretty cool and it leads you to something. But at the end, you know if they don't fucking make the film, it ain't gonna matter. Yeah, I mean, I would give it a six out of ten. I, I mean, I, I'm a layman when it comes to Mortal Kombat, so some of the things that bothered you about the lore and stuff, it doesn't really bother me um, because I don't really have that, that um, knowledge of the lore like you do. But I would say that, you know, it's, it's a big dumb action movie. Like I said before, Um, it's fun to watch for the two hours that's there. And I would say that even at two hours, it's not really like, it doesn't like overextend itself. Um, Definitely doesn't feel long. I'll I'll tell you that. Right. It doesn't feel long. But with that said, I would say that, you know, I, I'm not I haven't like thought about it again. I'm not like, hmm, Mortal Kombat. Now, let me ponder on that some more. Um, it was fun to watch when I watched it. You know, it has some good gore effects. The fatalities are pretty cool. Um, I mean, there's some there's definitely some things that made me cringe, like the just trying to to get in there, like the the shout outs to the games with with the uh, interjections and things like that, that are kind of like, you know, you didn't really need that. You didn't really need to do that because everybody by now knows at least that much about Mortal Kombat that's seeing this movie. Um, You know, it's flashy. It's got some, it's got some good style to it. You know, this action scenes are not bad. Um, They could probably be better, especially if they were to be lightened a little bit. Um, And like you said, given a little bit better settings too, um, because this is like, some of them are just like CGI fest and you can tell. Um, and then others are kind of like, eh, you know, the ice cage match. Eh, you know, it's pretty lame for a final showdown. Right, right. Especially because Cole's not really involved in that fight. So, you know, that metaphor is kind of lost a little bit. Yeah. Instead of like fighting Sub-Zero, he's just like punching ice. He just... You know, because his his wife is encased in ice, so he's just like punching, punching the ice. You know, I don't care what's happening to my dead dad, or my not <laughs> dead dad, my dead ancestor. I'm just gonna keep punching this ice, and hopefully, I can break through. Um, I, yeah, it. I mean, it it's a fine movie. I, I definitely enjoyed it when I was watching it, but I don't think it's really gonna break any barriers. You know, and I, I'm not sure if it's gonna generate enough appeal where they're gonna be like definitely green light another one um, i think it already has they've already so. said it's done a shit fuck ton better than kong versus zilla so oh really so that's yeah. interesting i mean i'm wondering though so here we have again the initial film in the franchise could do well because people are interested in the idea but will they come back that's the question so if you do do a sequel First of all, you've got to do what you promised. You've got to show the tournament this time. You you absolutely like if they if they turn around again and you're like, well, we're still preparing for the tournament, and here's what's happening now. Uh, no, they have to show the tournament this time. They have to really well, double down. Well, like I said, they cla- they basically are claiming that the tournament either happened or it's null and void because Shang Tsung broke the rules of Mortal Kombat. He's not supposed to monkey around and threaten or attack. Like, the fact that he was even going after and killing Earth's champions before even getting there 
That's breaking the rules of Mortal Kombat. And the fact that Raiden sits on his hands and asses, like he can actually do something about that. He can like be like, you're you know, you're messing with the people who are supposed to be defending Earthrealm. He can, you know, he's not powerless in this. So which again makes Raiden look like a fucking stupid idiot getting this. Like, oh, I sat here and just uh uh Sorry, everyone's dead. Yep, oh well. Same thing too, like Hanzo Hasashi, greatest ninja of all time. If he was so great, why didn't you put him, you know, enlist him to be in Mortal Kombat after Kung Lao died? Because Kung Lao would have been dead then. Why didn't you, like, Hanzo, you must come and fight in this great tournament to defend Earthrealm. You must go and whoop Goro's ass. Like you said, like, I, it, my main problem with this film, it's not even like having to deal... I mean, it, it does a little bit because I, I have an informed knowledge of the game's canon and lore, but like Jesus Christ, like it's so like fucking flippant and slipshot with like what's supposed to be going on when it comes to that tournament. It's annoying because, like I said, I do think the idea of having like a mark that give like you know that if you unlock you, it gives you like the some of the supernatural powers that we see in the games. I do think that's a good idea. Like you know, maybe Johnny Cage has that mark, and that's how he unlocks you know. His, like, uh, green orb shooting bullshit and, like, the shadow kick. Which, you know, we find out in later games that, like, the, he's uh, apparently a descendant of, like, uh, Greek warriors that were defenders that had that ability. But, I mean, you could, like, f- you know, fit it to however you want. I'm not saying, like, the films have to follow the game's lore precisely because that's going to be impossible. But I think to make a coherent story out of it's important. I don't think they did a good job on that. I think like that's easily the the biggest flaw in this film is the, the story's not coherent whatsoever. Yeah, I I think they got to do the tournament next time. Otherwise, there's going to be some unhappy campers. I think they might jump into civil war though. Like I said, because the way it ends, it seems like they're going to MK3, which MK3 is Shao Kahn invading Earth. They're going to skip right over MK2. And as, like I said, they, and as you said, they didn't even do MK1. They didn't even do the fucking first tournament. So, <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. We'll we'll be there to watch it again. All right, so that's our Mortal Kombat uh, review, and you know, our return to podcasting. We haven't been here in quite a while. Uh, are we going to continue in two weeks? Have we got a new? Uh, Another episode that's going to come out? We should wrap everything up and just do the 95 more Mortal Kombat. What did we do before? Did we do Annihilation? Was that the one? That yeah, we, we did. Yeah, we did one Annihilation. Day, just right. because one day I was like, you know, it'd be funny just doing Annihilation because it's a really bad movie. I think that, yeah, I don't want to do Mortal Kombat 95 again. I don't want to sandwich it like, like right I away. do just because I want to be like, man, Christopher Lambert. Isn't he great? Robin Show, always great. Lyndon Ashby, always great as well. Carrie Togawa, amazing. And then Bridget Wilson, hey, she's pretty good too. And then most of, importantly of all, Talicia Soto, not just a Bond girl, but also Costas Mandalore's former wife. And I just wanted to slip that in there because we are also not only sponsored by Genesee, we're also sponsored by Costas Mandalore. I think we should do Godzilla King of the Monsters to lead up to Godzilla versus Kong because we did the original Godzilla, uh, the first one, 
Is Ken Watanabe in it? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> is, Brian Cr- is Brian Cranston in it? No, obviously not. He can't well, be. I, then I don't want to watch. Bring is, him back in the flashbacks. Is the soul is the soldier child alive? No, I don't think so. I don't think the they're in it either. The biggest, the most important crux of that entire film, fucking soldier. But CCH Pounder's in it. Who? From the Shield, CCH Pounder. I didn't watch the Shield. Oh. No. Uh, oh, yeah, you know what? Ken Watanabe is in it. Yes. Oh, so yeah. I mean, all right. I don't know. We'll talk about it. Oh, your favorite's in it. Vera. Oh, yeah, Vera Farmiga's in it. My favorite? You mean your favorite? You're My the favorite, one. too. I don't know. We'll talk about it. We'll be back Makes in two weeks. want to watch Bates Motel all over again. I know. All right, so we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but... We'll see. You never we'll know. See. Yeah. You never know what we're, what random thing we're going to pull out and, and decide to do. We got to do the uh, leprechaun. You know what? We got to do a leprechaun because oh, we, we missed, missed it. it. Which leprechaun are we on now? Um, leprechaun back to the hood. Wait, did we do to the hood last time? We did. You don't even remember it because it was so bad. Well, because I also get them all. Yeah, because we did leprechaun in space. I keep forgetting about yeah. the Vegas one because I think right. there's like leprechaun and leprechaun two and then in space. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna do. Oh, we're up to back we're to the back hood. to the hood, which I've never seen actually. I saw in the hood, and I said, "You know what? <laughs> I'm stopping here. I don't even remember what happened. Not going film. any further." Ice T was in that. I don't remember. I don't... Terrible. I don't even remember anything about it. Yep. All right, so we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Stay we should do a review of Idiot Abroad. Yeah, the whole series. Just, you know. Or just Carl Pilkington Davis with ones. Warwick Davis. Yeah, just the last season. All right, so we are on basically every single podcast app that you can think of. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Our home base is on... Um, what even is it now? We changed. We changed our home home base for podcasts. Um, <laughs> it's been so long. We're on Anchor. Anchor.fm. Oh, wow. That's... Yes. Because it's free. <laughs> um, also, I believe Apple Podcasts is starting a subscription-based service that you can like subscribe and, and donate to your favorite shows. Um, so keep an eye out for that. If you do want to donate to us through Apple Podcasts or um, uh, Patreon, that is always an option. We will certainly take that because it helps us continue our podcasting journey. Uh, we are also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, just search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. You'll find us. Anything else? We are on the web pretty much everywhere. You can find us by searching us on Google. And we have a email account as well at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com you can write to us let us know what you like what you don't like and any movies that you want to see us cover in the future other than that we will see you back in two weeks for a new episode as we return to our podcasting uh schedule i guess all right have a good one take care